Stop me if you've heard this one. You grow up, you graduate high school, you attend the best college you can get into, and a few years later you graduate again. You marry the perfect girl and move into a small, character-building apartment. Over the next couple of years, you had a house, a dog, and two-ish children. A perfect start to a picket fence life. Time begins to roll by, your kids grow up, you get involved at your church just like you're supposed to do. And sure, you have opportunities to engage more with the outside world, but it's hard enough to balance your job, church, wife, and two-ish kids. Your life continues speeding along, your children grow up and make you a grandfather. Eventually, you retire and start spending a little too much time in Florida. But it's okay to relax. After two generations, you've impacted the eight lives in your family. Finally, at the end of it all, the Lord calls you home. And it was a good life. Right? Work, family, church. Because whichever order you put them in, that's all there is, right? What would happen if we shook up that formula? Imagine if we went out of our way to engage with our world. Co-workers, neighbors, old friends. And not just engage, disciple. Imagine if we took one year and discipled one person from our world. Took a year and truly shared the message of love, salvation, and freedom in Christ to that one person. And what if inside that year that person started to follow Jesus? But let's not stop there. What if the next year that person began to disciple someone else, and you did the same thing, and two more people came to know Christ? And what if you did this year after year, person after person, and each of them picked one person year after year, and each of them, and each of them? If this kept going for 30 years, that would mean that 1,073,741,824 people could hear the gospel. That's a little more than eight. The thing is, it's not a joke, and it's not a gimmick. Most importantly, it's not impossible. It's one person boldly making a commitment to bringing one other person to Christ. And it all starts by asking the question, who's your one? I'm so thankful that you are here this morning, and if you're watching online, I hope you can be with us for the next four weeks, because I'm beginning a new series called Who's Your One? And I believe it's going to have a profound impact on this church and this city. Open your Bibles, please, to Psalm chapter 96. This is a 3,000-year-old praise song. And I want you to notice as we read some of the words, the global emphasis. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, please notice, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory Please notice, among the nations, his marvelous deeds. Please notice, among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods for, please notice, all the gods of the nations. Or idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord 
And please notice, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do His name, bring an offering and come into His courts, worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness, tremble before Him. Please notice, all the earth, say, where? Among the nations, the Lord reigns. So, I'm beginning this new series. And it's about sharing your faith. And I can already sense your spiritual muscles tightening up. Because if there is one thing that Christians and non-Christians have in common, it's that we both get tense When the preacher starts talking about evangelism. And yet here's my sense. That for the great majority of you. You would love to see an explosion. Of growth and outreach in this church. You would love to see. Some of your dearest. Unsaved. Friends. And family members. Come to know Jesus Christ. You would love to be more effective and bold in your own life as a witness for Christ. And here's why I think that. You know, in the first six months of this year, we had more baptisms than in any six months in the history of our church. And we believe God is positioning us for a potential wave of outreach here in our city. And what I've noticed in this season, in every campus I've been on, when someone makes that great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, when they are baptized into Christ, when they are transferred from a dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, every time I've watched it on every campus, the church explodes with joy. This really is what we hope to see. And so... I make you a promise for the next four weeks. I will not intentionally try to make you feel guilty about anything. I hope I encourage you. I hope I equip you. But I don't think sharing your faith should be an obligation. I think it should be a privilege. I don't think talking about Jesus should be a burden. I think it should be a joy. And that's what I'm hoping for you. Because every single one of you has a one that you can help introduce to the one and only. And there is one huge reason why we want to do that. And it is simply... There is only one God. You see, you always start with good theology. You always begin with what is true about God. And what do you think is the most basic truth about God in the Bible? It might surprise you. It's this one. There's just one God. That's the most basic thing to know about God. His uniqueness, His oneness, His onlyness. There is just one 
God. And that was the refrain over and over in that 3,000-year-old praise song we just read. Declare His glory among the nations. He's to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. Now, when the Hebrew used that word idol, he didn't mean non-equal. He wasn't saying that our God is bigger and better and better than your God. Your God is inferior. No, that word idol doesn't carry the idea of non-equal. It carries the idea of non-existent. We're not singing there's a whole lot of gods and our God is biggest. We're singing there's just one God. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 8, We all know that an idol is not really a God. And that there is only one God. There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth. And some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But we know that there is only one God. The Father who created everything and we live for Him. And there is only one Lord. Jesus Christ through whom God made everything and through whom we have been given life. And so... Any passion for mission is going to grow out of a conviction of monotheism. In other words, if there is just one God, then it's the responsibility of every person in every nation and every tribe to know and ascribe glory due to Him. And it's our passion and mission as worshipers to declare There's just one, just one God. Back in 1988, Earl Hershiser, pitching for the Dodgers, won the final game that gave them the World Series title. The cameras during the innings would see him in the dugout, and he was kind of rocking, and his mouth was moving. And so after the game, Bob Costas asked, what are you saying in the dugout between innings? He said, well, I'm singing to myself to calm my nerves. So the next night, he is on the Johnny Carson show. Everybody under 20 will have to ask your parents at home what that is. (laughs) And Johnny Carson says, were you humming? No, I was singing. And the crowd got excited. And he said, oh, no, I'm not going to sing. And Carson says, yes, you are. You're going to sing a few bars. What were you singing in that dugout? And so he cleared his throat and he sang. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, you heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And the crowd broke into sustained applause. And the psalmist says, that's our job description. To declare to the nations the truth about God. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations. Come into His courts. Tremble before Him all the earth. Do you realize how politically incorrect this song is? This song is saying to the whole world, you know your faith and you know your religion and you know your God, chunk it. Come on over to our house. And worship our God. Because there's just one God. 
And so the Great Commission, you see, wasn't a new goal. It was just Jesus giving us his strategy to reach the goal that has always been the desire of God's heart. That in every nation, that all peoples over the world would know the one true God. That the one mission is to declare and to surrender to the one God. And you see, this is not really a rescue mission. It's a reality mission. There's just one God. And you need to line up your life to that truth. Because someday the curtain's going to be pulled back and the whole universe is going to acknowledge what has always been true. There is one God. And the sooner your life lines up to that reality, the better your life will be. And this one reason impacts all of our reasoning. Now let me amplify If there's just one God, and I need to know about Him, the first thing I need to know is that this God cares about every one. Now that's important because if there's a whole lot of gods, you wouldn't expect the God over here to care about people over there. And throughout history, people have assumed there is no God that cares about everyone. In fact, even in Jesus' day, it was the dominant theology. The preachers in the day of Jesus said, God doesn't care about Gentiles. He doesn't care about sinners. He doesn't care about failures. Yes, he's going to throw a big party, but the invitation list is small, and you're probably not on it. And Jesus said, you don't know the one God. Don't read the Old Testament and think that God didn't become a Christian until the New Testament. Jesus didn't change God's attitude about people. Jesus revealed God's attitude about all people. He said, now the one God is like a shepherd that loses just one sheep and drops everything to find it. The one God is like a woman who loses one coin and turns a house up down to find it. The one God is like a father that had two boys. Now one boy got lost in a strip club and one boy got lost at church. And the father threw a party, and he invited both boys. Because the father doesn't care if you're lost in a pig pen or lost in a pew. He cares that everyone come to the party. 1 Timothy 2, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Peter said the same thing, explaining why Jesus hasn't come back yet. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And so here's the truth. There are people on God's radar that are not on yours yet. They work with you. They live down the street. They go to your school. And God's been noticing and caring about them. 
But you haven't yet. But he has his eyes on them. They don't have their eyes on him yet. And that brings us to the one matter that is the number one barrier of people knowing the one God. It's the idea that all I've got to do is be good. And here's the truth. Being good saves no one. So you'll hear it a lot. It really doesn't matter what you call God. All religions are basically the same because any faith is going to teach you how to be a better person. And if you are a good person, then you're okay with God, whatever you call him. It assumes that God grades on the curve. Just be better than other people and you're cool with God. Now here's what the Bible says in Romans 3. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all do. You see, the only way I can consider myself good is if you let me set the bar. If you let me set the bar, I promise I'll set it somewhere where I can get over it. Probably what I'll do is I'll pick somebody else and say, I'm so much better than that person, and I'll put the bar there. But the Bible says God sets the bar. And He has set the bar for being right with Him as His holiness. Now, wait a second. That's not fair. Only God Himself could meet the righteous requirements of God. You got it. And that's why there is one religion that is different than all the others. There's one religion that does not say just be better. There's one religion that says God himself had to come in the person of Jesus and meet the righteous requirements of a holy God. And so he came. He came to seek and save the lost. And what I'm about to say is going to be tough to hear. But I think it's true, and I wouldn't say it if I didn't. So you've got a friend, you've got a coworker, you've got a school friend, you've got a neighbor. And he's a pretty good guy. But being good's not good enough. You're one. Needs to meet the one and only. Peter said in Acts 4, there's salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. He's simply putting in his own words what Jesus said in John 14. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. Except through me. There is an exclusiveness to the gospel that must be declared. But hear me, there's an inclusiveness to the gospel that must not be denied. Because the good news is that Jesus can rescue anyone. Anyone. You've never met anyone who was too hopeless. You've never met anyone 
for whom it was too late. You don't know anyone who is too bad for Jesus to save. 1 Timothy 1, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. So everyone should accept the truth that Jesus can save anyone. Romans chapter 3. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. So you don't give up on anyone. And I need to hear that. Because I've been tempted just like you have to write someone's off. But then I remember, my Savior conquered the grave. Nothing's impossible for Him. Nothing is hopeless for Him. God isn't asking me to save anyone. He's asking me to point to the one That can save everyone. Because the one God. Always has room in his house. For one more. A number of years ago I told a great story. In one of Max Licato's books. That he learned from his time as a missionary in Brazil. About a young girl named Christina. She lived in a small village with her single mom, very meager existence, but they got by on her wage as a maid. But Christina had her heart set on the bright lights of the big city. Now, her mother knew there was only one way a young teenage girl could survive in the big city, and it wasn't good. So she was heartbroken one morning when she woke up and Christina's mat was empty and her few clothes were gone and she knew what had happened. She took what little money she had. She went to a local store, went into one of those photo booths, bought all the little pictures of herself she could afford, got on the bus, went to the big city, and she knew where to go. To every cheap hotel, to every brothel, to every strip club. And she would paste or tape a picture of herself to a mirror, to a phone booth, to a wall. Until all her time and money was gone and heartbroken, she got on the bus and went back home. About a month later, Christina, still a teenage girl but looks a lot older now, walks one morning down a set of stairs. After another night with another man who cared about nothing but her body. And she got to the bottom and on a mirror she sees a little picture. And she recognizes the face. And she tears it off and on the back are these words. Whatever you have done. Whatever you've become. Please just come home. Now Jesus can rescue any one. But here's what you need to know. He wants you to be his picture. 
He wants you to be that picture that stops that one person. So they can find out the Father wants them home. And so Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and has given us this task of reconciling people to him. You see, you are the way to the way for someone. And this is what distinguishes Christians from moral humanitarians. Yes, we want to help the poor. We want to help the hungry. We want to bless the sick. We want to go to the jails. But so do moral humanitarians who don't believe in the one God. But what distinguishes us is we are going to declare the truth of God as we do these things. So Jesus helps a man with a demon. And the man wants to follow Jesus. And here's what he said in Luke 8. Go back to your family and tell them what a wonderful thing God has done for you. So he went all through the city telling everyone. There must be a telling. Go back and read that song. Look at the verbs. Sing, proclaim, declare, ascribe, worship, say. Now, honestly, isn't that how you met the one and only? Sure, somebody was a good example. But someone told you about the one and only. Who was your one? Last year, several of us on staff, we went and visited some churches in America that God is blessing with amazing fruit in outreach. We visited one church in Las Vegas, Nevada, Central Christian Church, baptizes over a thousand people a year in Las Vegas. We're talking strippers and Elvis impersonators <laughs> because Jesus can rescue anyone. And the pastor's name is Judd Wilhite. And you would think when you meet him or you hear him preach that he was just called in the womb for this. Judd Wilhite was a drugged out, lost, messed up teenager that wanders into Park or Paramount Terrace Christian Church in Amarillo. And an older man named Roy Wheeler made Judd his one and brought Judd to faith. Because you see, Roy Wheeler at one point was a messed up, confused, lost teenager. But Walter Goodman made him his one. And now Judd Wilhite is being used by God to bring thousands to Christ. Because Roy made him his one. Because Walter made Roy his one. Because somebody made Walter his one. Who was your one? Was it your mother or your father? A grandparent? Maybe it was a roommate in college? A co-worker? A friend down the street? Somebody on one of your ball teams? 
But you had a one. And you can be a one. And so for the next three weeks, what we're going to do is open the Bible. And we're just going to look at stories. Where God took this one. And arranged a meeting with that one. So that someone could meet the one and only. Because he's always creating one moments. Because to the one true God, one matters. And you know what? When you look back on your life, what is going to matter most to you is the impact you had on other ones. And I mean that. When you look back at the end of your life, you are not going to talk about trophies and plaques and gold watches. You're going to care about the impact that you had on other ones. Perhaps no scientist has been more honored than Louis Pasteur, the pioneer of immunology. Lauded, rightfully so, and honored. And so, in his day, thousands a year died from rabies. And he spent years researching a possible cure. And the nine-year-old Joseph gets bitten by a dog. It's a death sentence. His mother begs Dr. Pasteur to do something. He says, it's not ready. It's never been tested on a person. But she insists. And so for ten days, he gives little Joseph a shot. And something that has never happened before happens. Joseph survives. Now this great man... Worthy of all the honors he ever was given. Was asked later in his life. What he would like put on his headstone. He said three words. Joseph Meister. Lived. Because what one thing. That will matter to you. More than anything else. Is did you have an impact. On one. And so tomorrow you're going to go back to work. Back to school. And you're going to be overwhelmed. With so many agendas. All claiming they're so important. All demanding your time and affection, and energy. And you've got to decide what life's about. You've got to decide what mission you're going to give yourself to. And I hope you choose the right one. And so, Father, now I'm praying in Jesus' name. That you would open up our eyes.
to be more aware of those on your radar that are already in our world. That you would increase our passion for your glory to be known in the world and that you would, Father, increase our burden for those who do not yet know you. God, you you know that this city is filled with people who need you. And you are you are looking for someone that you can trust them to. You are burdened to find someone with your heart and we're asking that that could be us. That if you would trust us with someone needing Jesus we wouldn't be blind or calloused to that moment. We pray that in our generation that the worship of the one God And the name of the one Lord Jesus will go to all the world. And for your glory and his name we ask this. Amen. I'm going to ask you all to stand. I'm going to ask you if you're on our prayer team to come down and take your place at the front. In our earlier service this morning... At this moment, as we sang a song of worship, a beautiful young lady came down. She was born in Iran. She's lived a number of years now in this country. And she's been searching for the one God. And a few moments ago, she stood in that baptistry. And she named his name. She confessed Lord Jesus. And the church joined heaven in exploding with joy because the desire of God's heart was fulfilled again. And maybe heaven's waiting on you right now to come to the party and name Jesus as your Savior. We're down here to receive you whatever your need while we worship.